Good morning, I'm Mimi, your host, and this is Inspired Business. Today's magical guest is Tom Shea. He's the best-selling author of Unbreakable, a Navy SEAL's Way of Life. He's also the host of the Unbreakable podcast, and he's currently uh, the founder of Adamantine Alliance, in which he provides leadership consulting And he's also a keynote speaker in which he travels all over the world. And I first met Tom through LinkedIn. And, you know, veterans have a special place in my heart. As some of you know, my dad served in the Air Force. And Tom served as a Navy SEAL for 23 years. So I am very eager to introduce my new friend, Tom Shea. Let's get on with it. Good morning, Tom. Welcome morning. to the show. So happy that you're here with us today. Well, thanks again for having me. Yes, absolutely. I am very excited uh, to introduce you to my audience because I believe that your book is something that resonates beyond the military and not that my audience knows who you are so we're going to introduce you uh if you would be so kind as to tell us what your background is before you became an author well my name is tom shea i grew up in the military and the military form i guess i grew up in was the seal teams Mm-hmm. And I'd spent 23 years in this in the teams, and I retired in 2014. And when you say grew up in the military, did that mean that even as a child you were in the military? Your family was in the military. Uh, well, my dad had been in the army, and I grew up around military. But I I think uh, you know humans actually. The important parts of their life are after high school because uh-huh. whatever happens before gets whitewashed very quickly when you try to become an adult. So my uh-huh. adult life has been in the SEAL teams. Okay. Well, I, you know, had a, a different experience than you. I was, I, you know, I wasn't in the military. I was a dependent <laughs> of my dad in the military. And um as a as a seal though you didn't take your family wherever you went you were going on missions and leaving them behind is that the impetus of your your book let's let's get into why unbreakable was formed why it was created well you asked some interesting questions that uh, probably need some clarifying Okay. You know, everybody's experience of when they're active duty military, or as you said, you know, a dependent where you're the family of somebody that's active mm-hmm. is different. Mm-hmm. And in the SEAL teams, uh, it's a unique uh, group where they are gone quite often. Like I, I know that I was reminded by my wife, Stacy, that I was gone around 270 days a year for 23 years. And most of that time is spent training 
here, I would say in the United States where you're, you're gone a lot and then you come back home and you do your laundry and you, you say hi to people and then you leave again and then you go on six or seven month deployments. Mm -hmm. And that was my life. And uh, in 2009, I had, I was a SEAL platoon chief and my wife had said, Hey, you know, why don't you write down to the kids what you're going through and what you want them to learn in case you don't come home this time, because we had gone, we were going to go to Afghanistan and the place still is not very healthy to, to, to human life. Right. And so uh, I knew that uh, I, I better take heed and, and write down some notes to the kids in case I didn't return. And that was the genesis of the book. Was um, when you say that um, your wife talked to you about this particular deployment, was this your last deployment? Did you know that it could be your last? I mean, I know that every deployment could be your last, but it, it seems like this was kind of at the at the end of, of your career did you did you realize no, no, no. I, I, I didn't uh, perceive it to be my last deployment mm -hmm. and uh, and looking back I wouldn't even have thought it would be the last one and mm -hmm. yeah and so no it was not intentionally the last time I was going to leave uh, and so but it was a very dangerous time and in 2000 uh. In 2009, it was a very dangerous time. Mm -hmm. And the SEALs had not been in Afghanistan as a regular SEAL team since, you know, the, the, you know, the movie Lone Survivor was the last time the SEALs were there. Mm -hmm. And we were called back in because it had gotten pretty hairy. Mm -hmm. And they send in the guys that like that environment. So they, they brought us back to kind of quell some of the the rebellion that was going on. Mm -hmm. And I know how you started to write your, your book. You never intended <laughs> for it to be a book, but it became a book. Why don't, why don't you share with our audience how, because I, I do love that story of how you actually wrote down what you wrote. Yeah. I think like most SEALs, we don't come from academia. Mm -hmm. And I especially would say I did not come from academia because I had, uh, you know, right after high school, I, I, I tried my hand at West Point and I failed out my third year in English. So I was for sure not good at writing. Mm -hmm. And I would say now that I'm very clear that I'm not good at writing. <laughs> but, uh, so uh, the the idea was to pass on what I was going through and and to write it down in such a way that the kids would understand it. And I and I'm not a very and at the time I still agree with my point of view then. Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm a very private person. Mm. And the writing was easier than going into the public space and trying to share like now the story yeah and so I, I had written it with no intent that anybody would ever read it but my family mm -hmm. and Stacy and when I but you know the, oddly I, I came back and I survived right so to make it a book was never an idea an idea 
until later. And Stacy said, you know, why don't you culminate that or why don't you complete that, put it into, you know, a, you know, make it a manuscript and we'll have professional people edit it mm-hmm. and let's do it that way. So we did. So we had the original print run was 10 and uh, with no intent to share it with anybody but family and like, a, you know, a good wife, she didn't agree with anything that I was saying and she put it up on Amazon <laughs> And it, it went viral on Amazon. Yeah. And the rest is history. And that's been five years, hasn't it? Close to, yeah, close to five years. Yep. You know, it seems very interesting that every increment that was taken, the instigator was Stacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she... She encouraged you to start writing even before you were deployed. And then when you got back to compile it into a manuscript, then to put it into a book and then put it on, uh, you know, on Amazon. Do you, um, I'm curious to know if when you talk um, in your, because I know that, uh, that you do public speaking now Mm -hmm. do you focus more on the story behind the book or do you focus on what is actually shared in the book well you asked three different questions and when i answered the first one that i heard you ask (laughs) uh the original title of the book or the manuscript was Spartan woman. Really? And because I wanted to pass on to the kids, the value of a strong woman and a warrior's life. And not a lot of people like to talk about that. Okay. And the publisher fundamentally disagreed with the title. Cause he said, nobody book called Spartan woman. Hmm. And that was a negotiation between he and Stacy. So the, the written, then the title became unbreakable Navy SEALs way of life. For some reason, Navy SEAL was theoretically going to sell books mm-hmm. and we didn't know. So we agreed and, and went with it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I know for sure that without a warriors don't cannot go to war for a long time unless there's a strong family life Mm. and they usually fill that family life with other warriors. So oftentimes seals don't, aren't good at home, but Mm -hmm. they're really good at the family life. That is the seal platoon. Right. And that gives them strength and it doesn't last very long without a woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I wanted that to be the the crux of the the storyline. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in speaking, so your third question was, you know, how do I speak about it? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't know that there's kind of three types of speakers. There are motivational speakers that are high energy. They run on a script. They say the same script each time and they learn it and it's high energy. And I, I quickly learned that that wasn't what I was going to speak about. <laughs> 
And then there are subject matter experts that, you know, if you want to learn something about, you know, nuclear fusion, you, you hire somebody to come in and talk about that specific topic. Right. And then there's interactive speakers that their sole purpose is to interact with the audience in a relevant conversation that the audience wants to hear. Mm-hmm. And it's very risky being an interactive speaker because people ask obscenely stupid questions <laughs> that have nothing to do with the topic. <laughs> but I, I, f- I found it uh, easier to be interactive, which, you know, maybe 2% of the speakers are interactive. Uh-huh. So uh, we sometimes talk about the topics of the book, uh-huh. but it usually leads to what's going on in either that organization or that person's life. And so I interact more on the, the on a personal level. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love the way you broke that down. <laughs> because um, I don't think that people are paying attention to that. Because as you were speaking, I was going, wow, he's right. I mean, because I'm the kind of person, Tom, that's always into self, you know, self-exploration and things of that nature, self-improvement. And so, yes, have I been to each one of those types of uh, engagements as far as those different types of speakers? Absolutely. And by far, for me personally, I enjoy the interactive much more. Um, So that resonates with me. That's probably why we get along. Um, (laughs) And besides the, the, the military link, because anything military I gravitate towards, but I want to get back to the title because that, that really piqued my interest because before I even, um, you know, before we even started this, this call, um, I was thinking about your title and how it came about. And I wanted to know if Unbreakable was about the meaning, um, in other words, referring to an unbreakable character, such as tenacity, or is it the unbreakable bond between a parent and child beyond death? So. And maybe it's not either one of those. How did you settle on Unbreakable when, when it actually started with Spartan Woman? Yeah, so it's neither. Okay. And not a lot of people asked about that. Uh, so the, 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 the real distinction that is Unbreakable is it's more of a way of life. Like, is it possible to have a way of life that a human can consider themselves unbreakable? Obviously, the body's breakable. I know that better than anybody. Okay. But the mindset, you know, can you have a mindset that you can't be fractured or broken as a human being? Mm-hmm. And I was interested in that with the, the publishers and some of the editors is to, you know, explore the you know the the human being conversation mm-hmm. and and writing you know the first pass of writing the book it was just a bunch of stories and then as we started to edit it it became a series of lessons that i wanted the kids to learn 
and there are 13. Oh. And as we looked at it, it's, and we conversed about it quite openly. And it took a long time to edit, like all authors, the, the top writers like, you know, Patterson and, and <laughs> Stephen King don't get it edited. Right. <laughs> they just do it themselves. Cause it's, it's a fragile system where the more somebody hammers the book, the less you want to keep working on it. <laughs> and uh, so as we talked about it, I, I'm, I know for sure, especially as being a SEAL, mm -hmm. your mindset, like what you're saying to yourself and what you're thinking about, if it's weak, your body can't deliver. And so that became the title of the book is what happens if your mindset is unbreakable? What, what if that's there? So, and you know, you could describe that in more detail in the title, but the more words in a title, the less interesting it is. Mm -hmm. so we broke it down to unbreakable. I see. So it's not so much, you know, because I was thinking of the of character, it's, it's, it's more, um, well, tenacity to me is a mindset when somebody is tenacious, mm -hmm. right? Um, they're not going to let go easily, they're not going to give up easily. Um, and what kind of mindset was that for you? Was it um, the unbreakable bond between you and and yourself? You know, just is it you and Tom, or is it you and your family it's, that, that you pull know, you through? That's you know, that's the the as you know, we tried in the book, and and I'm stumbling on it now. It's the whole thing. What if the whole condition of the human being was unbreakable? what would be possible. And that's what I kept trying to explore in the book mm -hmm. is what if you kept exploring that? So mm -hmm. there's bonds between, you know, me and my family and my wife and, and the brotherhood. And, and I explored that in the book and like take for instance, in, in the first chapter, the first lesson I wanted the kids to learn is how you look at yourself and can you do a simple thing for 21 days? And <laughs> I explored that by the conversation of, can you honor your word? Can you do what you said you would do for 21 days straight? Wow. And that creates a condition of looking at, am I unbreakable? Because most people can't do anything for 21 days. Like right now I've trained over a thousand people and out of the thousand, very few people can do that lesson without extending it longer. Simple I, thing. I it's, it's a phenomenon that I, I did not yes. anticipate. Yeah. Are you, are you good with doing things with the 21 day challenge? Like if you were given a challenge, are there areas where you're strong? In, in a 21 day challenge, like if I were to give the, the challenge of a 21 day meditation, could you do it? Yeah. So the, that's the deal is what most people don't anticipate is it's not the challenge that's difficult. It's how they excuse themselves from doing it. And that's a weird conversation to have, especially over, a podcast 
<laughs> what, what really happens to the human condition is we've built ourselves around this notion that we can excuse ourselves. We can use excuses and we can get out of honoring our word. Mm. And, and boy, the excuses over the past six years have been, and I've now coined this term called subtle, seductive, and believable. An excuse can be very subtle. It can be very seductive. And boy, and we could sell books on proving it. Like it uh -huh. becomes believable. Yeah. Pain, very believable. Mm -hmm. Like it hurts, I can't continue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And another profound excuse that really stops people from doing 21 days of meditation or 21 day diet or 21 days of sales or mm -hmm. whatever right. is I don't have enough support. So people dishonor their word because somebody says it's, they don't agree with it. Uh -huh. I can make a promise. And then immediately your, if your wife doesn't support it, you're like, well, I'm not going to do it. Right. The other one, obviously pain. It hurts. I'm exhausted. Uh, I can't, it was a pain indicator and then lack of support. The third one I thought was interesting is a, a conversation that comes up in the face of doing what you said you would do. And it, it sounds like this after a thousand people, they all have the same excuse is this conversation called this is stupid. <laughs> well, d dude, you made an agreement and all of a sudden you think it's stupid. And that's what we do to ourselves is we, we convince ourselves using subtle, seductive and believable reasons or excuses to not do what we said we'd do. And it takes 21 days for people to overcome their reasons. The level of difficulty doesn't matter. Actually, the harder it is, the easier it is to not have an excuse. The easier the, the process is, the uh, easier the excuse. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to see the correlation. <laughs> you know, I don't believe that many of us have this kind of mindfulness that you have. Is this typical of a Navy SEAL or is this just Tom Shea? It's typical of every human, but we haven't allowed ourselves to learn that lesson mm. in the seal teams. You have to learn the lesson. And so either you're going to be somebody who, when they make an, a, a promise keeps it mm -hmm. in the face, all the stuff. Right. Instead of the S word, <laughs> instead of all the crap that comes up in front of you, like uh, an enemy shooting you at you as an excuse not to continue. I hurt myself, I broke a leg, I got shot. Those are actually excuses. I and SEALs, you. to become a SEAL, you have to not have an excuse. Uh. And they blow, they, they, they weed out all the people that are excuse-driven during uh, the fifth week of training called Hell Week. Mm -hmm. and they give you every reason to quit. Either you're going to quit or you're going to continue. And they make it that simple. And then all of a sudden you realize, stop believing all those reasons to quit and just keep going in the face of all that. Right. And, you know, do you have to go through hell week to be that type of person? No, you don't. You just got to unravel your excuses. 
and you can do it in 21 days. And it's very simple to think about, very hard to do. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to confess something to you. It's confession. What? Confession Tuesday <laughs> with Tom Shea. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I don't know. This is just kind of, you know, my thing, raw and, uh, and unedited. I have taken so many 21 day uh, meditation challenges and I haven't finished one of them. Never. Not it's one. condition. That's it. Yep. Not one. And what's the reason? Um, I, you know, I've been sitting here as you were talking, I was kind of trying to figure out why I give up my meditation practice so easily. Because if it's a form that's, um, and when I say 21 day challenge, like if it's being guided, okay, like a guided meditation where you're listening to uh, a particular person and most guided meditations are not just the meditation okay shay but it's mm -hmm. it's the other things that go along with it okay um because a good meditation challenge will have journaling um as a part of the uh the exercise and there's different compartments so you're not it's not just the fact that you're doing meditation because I do my prayers and meditation every day. It's when it involves someone guiding me and asking me to do all these other things. I'm like, I just want to meditate. Uh, don't ask me how I feel or write something down. <laughs> you know, um, it's none of the, it's, it, it's that it's asking me to do more than what I want to do in relationship to that activity you know so um <laughs> that's, that's really fascinating that um i'm not even surprised that that this came up <laughs> i'm being well, you know, so the, the, not that it's a like a coaching session so to that's what i that's the power of that first lesson that i wanted my kids yeah to explore yeah and obviously you could talk about it for hours and days for hours for the, yeah. the details. So the, the, here's the question, what would be possible if you could honor your word for 21 days? It's limitless. It's absolutely. You could do anything that you said you would do. Yeah. Yeah. We're the ones that stop it. Nobody stopped you. It's not like, you know, you got shot or you had an accident. Or, right. or somebody pinned you down and wouldn't let you do what you said you would do. Yeah. We, we kind of unravel that internally. Mm -hmm. And that internal, what I call internal dialogue is very powerful. And nobody's teaching anything about it. Nobody's teaching anybody about it mm -hmm. or anything about it. But it's always there. And that mastering what's going on inside everybody should be doing because well, when you can control that you have a big measure of control of the outside world otherwise the outside world's telling you everything yeah it's raining i can't go outside right 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 oh my god the hurricane's coming dorian's gonna kill everybody 
<laughs> you can't internally that. do anything until all we, right. map, you know, so we, we keep reacting to all the external things that hit us, which is a, I think a very miserable life. Right. It's very reactionary and it's not by design. It's by default. It's by default. Yeah. Um, you know, when we talked before, um, uh, before this interview, you told me how the book, you know, propelled itself into, um, into a lot of people's hands and resonated with a lot of people and became a bestseller. And you also shared how people started reaching out to you to speak, right? Mm -hmm. So you're doing uh, speaking engagements on the book, but also you are consulting. Tell us a little bit about how that came about. Um, I, I think the, the, what happens is you either get stuck into a comfort zone of what is easy or you fall back or you kind of plant yourself and go, what's really interesting to me. And so what I have always been interested in is how to get somebody to do something difficult whether that be the SEAL teams, whether when I was a sniper instructor, mm -hmm. impossible or difficult has always been intriguing. And so as the book launched and people, you know, reached out, Hey, can you come and speak to my company? Can you come and engage me on what you were trying to put out in the book? I, t the reason why I engage is because I want to see, what other people are, what's possible for other people, whether they're leaders or whether they're anybody out there. Mm -hmm. And so I started speaking about that. So, you know, how do you deal with chaos was the conversation. How do you lead people in chaos was, you know, I did 232 presentations in the first five years wow. about, about how do you lead and how do you thrive in chaos? Cause come to find out everybody feels like they're in chaotic experiences. And I had a lot of interactive conversations that, you know, I'd come in for an hour and it would be a three hour event because mm -hmm. people wanted to hear how they can deal with their own chaos. As cool as it is to hear somebody else's story, mm -hmm. it makes no difference to people. Like, Hey, I, you know, look at all the things I did as you're a listener. You're like, that's cool. But what's the difference in my life? So then I started interacting with people right there in the audience about what's stopping them. And that's why some of the key leaders said, Hey, we need, I need you to come and teach me how to do that. How do mm -hmm. I deal with my own chaos? So I developed a curriculum that is miserably takes a year. I wish it took a month, but it takes a long time for people to grasp how to deal with their own chaos. And that's, you know, without getting into a five hour discussion, that's how the book created a, a, a speaking lifestyle and then a very in, intimate training lifestyle for leaders. And uh, 
when you say that it, uh, you know, it takes a year because I, I believe that the simple fact that we have in our midst <laughs> a man who was a SEAL, who's willing to talk to us because let's face it, you're a very elite group. I mean, it's not like you're a dime a dozen. You're not, right? So to have someone of, of, of your background, I think that it's quite natural for the, the general public, you know, the civilian population, even within, we, even within the military population, there's not. I mean, that's how unique your group is. So to, to know what it takes, the mindset that it takes to be a SEAL and have that open engagement, that communication with someone, don't you feel that that is what's drawing us to you? No, I, I, I think so as you're speaking it out. But what the draw is, is that it's interesting to me. Because there's, there's a lot of SEALs. Not a lot. So there's 2,000 right now that are active duty. Mm. And obviously the people that are not active duty are out like me. Mm-hmm. Not that there's a lot of seals and it takes, here's what it, so that, and that, so I'm going to answer the question differently. Well, you know, one is that the reason that things get moved forward is not because there's a draw. It's that the person behind it is interested in it. Cause there's a lot of seals that don't want to get in front of people because it's hard. Like it's hard to deal with creating a context for leaders to actually lead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, cause you got to deal with the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, to, to everybody's interested in what would it take for them to be, to get off the X of their own life. Mm -hmm. Maybe this seal may know something about it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing particularly different about, a human being that becomes a seal from everybody else on the planet. Ah, I think that's the misconception that we have. We, we think we're different, but we're not. Okay. The, the difference is what, like that first lesson that I thought was profound that if you don't learn it, you're kind of stuffed. It's not a genetic coding. Mm -hmm. I've not seen it to be genetic because I've seen better athletes, than me quit. So what would life be like if you didn't quit? Well, the, shit, I got to learn how not to quit then. Right. Yeah. I would love to be able to, you know, so, you know, the great things, you know, run faster, be stronger, look better, make a million dollars. The problem is we quit on ourselves. Hmm. Well, gosh, I got to hack the system. So I was like, you can't hack the system. <laughs> you can't. There's you know, a reality the, to it, isn't there? The, you can't hack it. I don't know how long it takes. I've just, in, in hindsight, uh, the training that we've now done with 
a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It takes as long as it takes, but you can't hack it. And I tried to hack it. Mm. I tried to shorten the system because, you know, as a business model, it's kind of a stupid business model. Anything mm-hmm. that takes a year, <laughs> it's a dumb business model. Can it take a month? I tried. I tried to do it in a month and it didn't work. Because people, they, they quit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> if you want profound change, you, you can't quit on it when it's easy or hard. You got to keep ingraining it into what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a long, long story about what you'd asked. Sorry, I got off track. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's perfect. I, I love that. I mean, um, I think that what is what is being said and what you're sharing um, is demystifying a lot of ideas. I mean, look, I I have them. I thought it was because you were a seal. <laughs> and it isn't. It's about being human and it's about you, Tom Shea, wanting to help others not quit and realizing what the potential could be if we didn't. Right. And that's, that's an interesting way of saying that. I agree with that. Yeah. And and you're taking that that love and that desire that you have within yourself. And you're attaching it to storytelling, okay? And it just so happens that you're a Navy SEAL, right? And that you had this experience of going to Afghanistan and writing down um, your experiences while you were there um, and wanting to share that with your children if you didn't come back. That's the, that's, that's the story that, that binds you and, and creates that uh, that draw because we are drawn to the story, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. we're drawn to the story and we want to know how did he do that? Right. And yeah, yeah. That's the question people ask is how do I do that? How did you do that? It's, it's like you're a magician. You were just going, wait a minute. How did you make that disappear? Yeah. <laughs> we want to know. Um, but what you're saying is that it, you could be doing this even without that background of the Navy SEAL. Yeah, you can. That's, it's a, and, you know, it, I got to admit, in the first year, it was to affect change. So how do I engage with a leader and affect them? Mm. In a measurable way. So people are going to spend money. You have to impact them measurably. Yes. And what I found is that one of the key elements that I did not anticipate was they have to learn to not talk themselves out of things. And I, because in the SEAL teams, that is gone. So everybody there doesn't talk themselves out of things. Yeah. And which was a f- funny environment to live in. Mm-hmm. It, it actually, you have to have a different type of leadership structure there because these guys will do, you know, they'll do a lot. You got to actually rein in the lions. In the civilian community, you got to push people. 
because they literally do it the opposite. <laughs> they're going to convince themselves on by Thursday that what they're doing is not going to work. The seals are different. They're just going to keep convincing themselves that it's going to work, whether it's going to work or not. And so the different types of leadership. So I thought it was more interesting to teach the leaders in community or in business to create a culture where people don't quit. So it's not about, um, oh my goodness. Okay. So I'm just having another revelation <laughs> mm -hmm. is it's not about, uh, I guess the end goal, which was, okay. You, you're telling me to go 21 days, of meditation with, with guided meditation. Let's, let's be, uh, be clear. Okay. Went 21 days of guided meditation, Emily Ann. So it's not whether or not you, you make it, it's whether or not you quit. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're focusing on the 21 days instead of focusing on the commitment. I but said that's this what is what I was going like to do. That's what people don't like to talk about. So you can gut things out for 21 days and learn nothing. Like the, I call that the phenomenon of winning. <laughs> Most people learn nothing from winning. Like if you ask athletes, a football player or a, a runner or a swimmer, you know, when you got that, when you actually won that game, yeah. what did you learn from it? They're like, man, it was exciting. But what did you learn? And they'll all say, oh, I, well, I don't know. It just flowed. It felt good. I didn't have any hiccups. But we don't learn anything from that. That's so, just a temporary high, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's a high, but there's no, you know, human condition being challenged. Right. So what goes on is not just hammer the 21 day to ensure that you get it all done. What are the things that come up that are relative to making it not work? Uh, That's the hardest part of the 21 days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'll say what the 21 day challenge is that people can't do. So for the first seven days, you do 10 push-ups and 10 sit-ups and 10 squats and write down all the excuses that could come up that would have stopped you or have stopped you. Mm -hmm. And so for the first seven days, that's all you do. And you got to do it right when you get out of bed and right before you go to bed. Okay. So you do twice a day. Okay. First 20, first seven days, everybody does it. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, I didn't have any excuses. Mm-hmm. And then from day eight through day 19 mm -hmm. is when everybody fails. But the, what comes up are all the excuses in life. And there are a, a thousand reasons to quit. Thousands. Yeah. I, you I'm, know, thinking, I hurt of, my, I'm I hurt thinking of them right now. My, <laughs> yeah, I hurt my hand. I hurt my shoulder. I'm Hell yeah. Bad. I'm too old. Yeah. Uh, this is stupid. It doesn't make sense anymore. Well, uh -huh. what happens if they weren't there? 
So I, you know, the world doesn't really care that you dislocated your shoulder. Uh-huh. Find another way. Do a one arm push up. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I had, you know, I, you know, I got in an accident. So, you know, who cares? <laughs> what are you going to do with it? And so it also points to the level of responsibility to the humans don't have. It's like if you were to, people invest in lot, a lot of time and energy in not doing what they say they're going to do. Mm, it's easier, Which was it? scary. It was scary to see that. Ah, uh, as a coach, you mean? As a coach? Yep. Yeah. And what you, um, was it challenging for you to, for, for you to see that and then go, well, how am I going to coach them through this? <laughs> Yeah, you know, and you think, gosh, you know, this is maybe it's too hard. So we actually changed it and made it easier. Didn't matter between day oh my eight, goodness day eight and day nineteen. All these same excuses came up. We actually made it harder for a while. <laughs> the excuses went away. When it oh, so that's what you were talking about when you said if it's harder, they they push through it better than if you make it easier the right. easier you make it yep the easier it is for them to come up with excuses yeah yeah so you know whether take it something that's relevant so you were talking about meditation yeah so every morning get up and whatever form of meditation you do you know either you want to describe it or not sit there for 10 minutes and light a candle and look at the candle. Whether that's a relevant meditation, I, I don't know. So try to do that for 21 days. In the first seven days, it's somewhat interesting. Right. And then day eight, you're like, eh, I'm not into it anymore. Uh-huh. Which is So what you're saying is, is that it really doesn't matter what the challenge is. It could be 21 days of anything, 21 yeah. days of journaling, 21 days of running, 21. It doesn't matter. Yeah, You're saying that it's yeah. right. That it's, that it's the mindset. Yeah. It's what's going on inside that most people or most humans, I call it, have never tried to unfold or unravel. So what's going on inside is if it's something new, you, you start questioning it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you think it's important. Mm -hmm. it, it could be anything. It could be something vital or it could be something new that you're trying to incorporate. But you know, neurologically, it takes 21 days for something new to be adapted into your system. Yes, it does. And and I talked to some psychologists and some doctors and, psych and some psychiatrists about that 21 day cycle and they validated it. Sure. And so but what, but what happens is, is you start fighting it around the midpoint. And that experience of what really goes on for people is what's this process that goes inside of happens inside of them. It's not an external issue. It's an internal issue. 
and we use language to convince ourselves that what we're doing is valid or invalid. But you have to beat that. And it's a longer process. I, I wish I could talk about it and all of a sudden people got it. You have to go through it. <laughs> you have to go through it. You have it's to go through it. Yeah, the, you know, there's a um, something that I that I truly believe in when it comes to understanding something. And when I use the term understanding, I'm not talking about book knowledge. In other words, I understand that two plus two is four. Okay, that is um, conceptual. What I'm talking about when I say understanding is experience okay i understand what it is to be a parent why because i'm a parent if i were single i think it's idiotic for someone who's never had a child to say oh i understand how you feel i'm like really no no you don't yep. so um the i i love that you have um figured out that that we have to experience things and I know that you have a second book out. Uh, uh, are you willing or, or can you tell us what the uh, book name is? Do you have a title and what it's about? Because I am very curious. Well, you know, uh, again, uh, whatever title I think it's going to be may not end up. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. <laughs> So your history uh, has proven this. Yeah, I'm working on the my title that I'm working on is having learned having trained so many people in the past six years uh -huh. and looking back at the training and then uh and, you know as a debate in our organization, do we put it out uh -huh. in a public space or do we keep it private? Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna put it out. Because uh -huh. it's so interesting to me, doesn't matter if it's on paper, you still got to do the, the, the damn thing and it's hard. <laughs> yeah. and so the, the title that I'm working on is, uh, it bounces between a five hour day mm -hmm. or three simple things. So everybody that goes oh. through the training, they have to do three simple things in five areas of their life and their health and their ability to learn is the second area. Uh, and their ability to make money is the third area. Their relationships at home are the fourth area and their spiritual life is the fifth. So in those five areas, if you're able to do three simple things, each of them takes a different amount of time. Mm. And after six years, the baseline time and energy spent to be successful is around five hours and 10 minutes. <laughs> it takes people about a year to achieve a baseline. And from that baseline, they actually make more money. They have more profound relationships and they're quite healthy. Uh -huh. But it takes like a, what I usually say, a CEO that's working a 12 hour day is inefficient. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and all you need to do is have a baseline of three hours that you're on point every day as the boss. Uh -huh. You may spend more time in the business, but most people are never on point. So they're scattered, yes. scattered brained or scattered activity throughout the day. And they never uh -huh. know how to get anything done. Like mm -hmm. a three, a five hour non-negotiable baseline. 
that doesn't change with the weather, doesn't, is not concerned with how you feel, but you got to get three simple things a day done. I actually, I love the title, Three Simple Things. When you said three simple things, oh, that just resonated with me. Well, I, uh, I'm biased because I have this um, unscientific uh, <laughs> way of thinking that things in threes are just fantastic. I mean, it's, it's holistic. To me when i think of something that's holistic um it's it's taking that pie and and breaking it into that 33.33333 you know <laughs> um that's how i see things uh literally in my mind so uh and i had a feeling that your next book was going to be about what your what you're teaching, what you're coaching. I kind of had a funny feeling, even though you didn't even tell me about it in okay. our, in our call. I think that's wonderful. I can't wait for it to come out. And I know that I asked you for an ETA. Do you still not have one? Well, and everybody that wants to write a book, you can have your notional timeline and then the editing process kills it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll Are be you that done bad with... of a writer? Yeah, I'll be done with uh, my portion in October. Ah, uh, okay. I got gotcha. you. It could okay. be November. Or it could be in the spring. Okay, so you've you're you're still working on it, and once it's worked on, then it's going to get raked yeah. by an editor, your editor, <laughs> and you don't know how long that's going to take. Yeah, so, you know the the old term is if you're writing, writing is actually called rewriting. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, you know, my, my process, you know, I, I don't know if it's effective, but it's mine mm -hmm. is to get it all written down first before I even edit it. Absolutely. And then I'm I go back. I'm a writer and, I, and that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. I go back and I edit it until I can't make any more edits. And then like, I always think, wow, that's cool. It's going to work. There's not going to be any red lines. And then you send it to the first editor <laughs> and it's, it's a bloodbath. It's a blood. Yeah. Like yeah. even the spelling that didn't get caught. <laughs> like there's no way that's misspelled. Nobody caught it. <laughs> and then it Is gets that really, comma really necessary. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, it's a, it's a, it's kind of like, like everything else in life is uh what I know to be effective is you, you do it until it's wrong as opposed to you do it till it's right. Until it's right. <laughs> yep. Well, I believe that you have another winner on your hands. I do. I really do. And I, I say that with all sincerity. Um, just because I'm one of those people that I'm a very feely person. <laughs> if you haven't already guessed, you're probably yep. going, oh my gosh, the feels on this chick. <laughs> um, <laughs> highly intuitive. And when I first saw you in, in the podcast with Dana Wild, I was like, this man is on to something. And I've uh, gravitated to that. And the people that gravitate to me, you know, are, are, are looking for the same things. So... Yep. I really appreciate your time today. And thank you. 
I'm hoping, I'm going to put you on the spot. Will you come back and talk about your second book with us? Yeah, when uh, well, I think when it's time, uh, I'd love to come back on and, and we can unroll the book if you want to. Yes. Yes, that would be amazing. Three simple things. Love it. Thank you, Tom Shea. Well, thank you. Okay. Wow, that was an amazing show with Tom Shea. Please check out the show notes because that's where all the links are to Tom Shea, how to buy his book, and how to follow him. Until our next magical guest, remember, walk the magical path by being a delight to yourself and to others. I'm Mimi, and this has been Inspired Business. Thanks for listening.